Welcome to Running Off the Rails. My name is Raymond O'Connor. And I'm Ariel Rasco. And today we're talking about murder hobos. We see a lot of chatter on the D&D Reddit about DMs getting upset with their players for doing things that they perceive to be wrong or evil. And we see them use the phrase murder hobo to describe players doing things that by today's standards are evil and morally wrong. But we've seen this phrase murder hobo turn into something that it's not. And we've seen this before in other pieces of the Dungeons and Dragons community, especially in Reddit, where we're having lots of meta conversations about the culture of Dungeons and Dragons. We've seen this happen before in a conversation about sandboxing and railroading. Now, if you ever want to communicate to a DM that they're running the game in a wrong way, if you just use the word railroad, for some reason, railroad has a negative connotation to it. And you have to say no more. The The word railroad implies that they're doing something wrong. In our first episode, actually, we talked about why railroading can be a great thing for your games. And we've seen this again with role-playing versus min-maxing, power gamers, where these words that are completely valid and fun ways to play the games get turned into these insults. And this is what we've seen happen to murder hobos. If you think that your players are playing the game the wrong way because they're killing more indiscriminately than you as the DM think they should be, all of a sudden we see people label their players as murder hobos. And I think this is crazy because killing is a huge part of the game. Ariel, what do you think about this subject? I think the really interesting thing about this conversation is if we followed our normal advice and just said, what do you do when something is not going right at your table? You would just have a conversation with your players and you might find that they really like this style of play and maybe it's not your favorite style. And then you move on and it's no big deal. You find a different group or you decide to try out what your players enjoy and maybe you do find you really love it as well. This is how we solve conflicts with our friends. This is how we have good D&D, we communicate. But instead, there's this idea in the community that no, murder hobo is an exception to this rule. With murder hobos, your players are wrong. They need to be taught. They need to be told that what they're doing isn't the right way to play D&D, and they need to roleplay more and think about their actions more and be more morally good, even though D&D is explicitly a game that tells your players they have the option to be evil. It's in the rules. So I think that this idea of murder hobos really goes against all the other good advice that we've given. You don't need to punish your players. You just need to communicate. I think that the phrase murder hobo was originally used to describe players who were poisonous or toxic at the table. So you imagine a group of adventurers and they walk into a village and the DM presents them with the mayor of the town and the mayor of the town is going to deliver the quest to them and they start the conversation and one player decides that they're bored. They don't like conversation and they say... I step up to the mayor and I cut his throat. And everyone at the table is like, why would you do that? It's not what your character would do. You as the player are just being chaotic for the sake of being chaotic. And this is when you have like a jerk at your table who is prioritizing their fun or their amusement in front of other people at the table. And that is, I think, 
what the original phrase of like kind of murder hobo was meant to describe adventurers that go around from town to town that are homeless and just kill people indiscriminately for no reason but i think it's pretty rare that we run into a situation where we have a player at a table who is doing this that can't be persuaded to stop just by simply explaining hey when you do this type of chaotic behavior you're kind of trampling on the fun of the other people at the table and we're all friends here we need to find a way to have fun together i think that this word has just exploded in usage and is being applied to situations that are not what it was originally intended to be used for this example you brought up is super interesting i think if you change the perspective a little bit imagine there are six people sitting around a table playing a game and one of them decides to act out in a way that is hurting the other player's fun, you would say that that person is probably not acting respectfully. Now, I think in the case of murder hobos, a lot of the time it's the DM who is the one person acting out in a way that is hurting the fun of the other players. Because if five people sitting at your table are enjoying combat, enjoying the reckless killing, the DM can be the one that is, you know, making the game worse by telling them that they were wrong and that they need to do things differently. In this case, it's very much the DM who is the disrespectful person at the table. And when we say reckless killing in this example of murder hobos being fine or good even, I think what we're talking about is the players are in a town that they just arrived at and a group of bandits that is kind of like running the town or a gang that kind of runs the town attacks the players. And instead of negotiating with the bandits or trying to find out what the bandits want, the players use the features that are on their character sheet, which overwhelmingly talk about combat, dealing damage, and killing things. There's like two words on your character sheet for persuasion, insight, and deception. It is. It makes up such a small percentage of your character sheet. If you were to choose a thing to do at random on a character sheet, chances are it's going to be something that has a risk of killing another person. The players decide that that's how they want to handle the situation, and they kill all the bandits. And as the DM, perhaps you've done a lot of reading on the Dungeons & Dragons Reddit, and you have it in your head that this isn't how we play Dungeons & Dragons in today's day and age. We don't just kill things. Everything has nuance and a shade of gray. Maybe the bandits were attacking you because they needed the money because one of the bandits' grandmas very sick and they were dying. And this is what you had imagined in your head that the players would find out that the bandits aren't really all that bad after all. But now they've just killed them all because they didn't want to have a conversation with them. We rolled initiative. The weapons came out and now they're all dead. And you take to the D&D Reddit and complain about why your players are murder hobos. This is like the, the sequence of events that I can only imagine when I'm reading some of these posts where people are complaining about their players. The point you bring up about the character sheet is something that I think is very, very relevant. It's your list of skills. And there, there are a lot of different skills you can use outside of combat to make an encounter a roleplay or an exploration encounter. But the number of actual class features that have whole paragraphs written about them that really tell your players what they can do in detail, those are mostly about killing things. And I think this idea also translates to encounter design. 
if you are putting an encounter in front of your players where the best way for them to get out of the encounter is to kill the other creatures, you're designing an encounter for murder hobos. And I think this can be very good design, or if you don't want to have a murder hobo game, maybe you can think more intentionally about what you're putting in front of your players. But the reason I think this is really good design is not because of some abstract theory in my mind. It's just that I've played a lot of D&D, and it's always been really fun for new players, low-level players, to protect the town that they're from, from a band of roving goblins. And killing a bunch of goblins to save your city and protect your friends is an amazing power fantasy. You get to be a hero, you get to hack and slash and use these superpowers to defeat the enemy and destroy the evil and not really think about it. it. It's not complicated. You're just killing. And it's a really great encounter. I think we should put these encounters in front of players. I think we should give players the opportunity to kill with abandon and be heroic in doing so. And then when further encounters come on down the line, your players always know that they have the option of violence. And I think that's setting up a campaign where you have really good murder hobo fun. It's setting up a campaign where your players know they're not going to be admonished or punished if you know they do something a little bit evil. I think we see this coming to a boiling point when DMs lose focus on what's important. And what's important is having fun at the table. And I'm not saying that DMs have to sacrifice their own fun so that their players can have fun. But it does mean finding a compromise. When we think about some of the best hero groups in fiction, a lot of them aren't lawful good. One that comes to mind immediately is the Guardians of the Galaxy. And honestly, that's my preferred style of group to play in. A group that is not good, is explicitly not good. They're thieves. Rocket Raccoon doesn't really care about killing people. Uh, he does so happily, it seems like, in the movies. Drax is a murderer. He talks about his knives all the time and killing people. These are evil characters by most interpretations of the alignment chart, but for some reason we love them. The same can be true for your D&D groups and for the DM. You just need to be flexible in the type of story that you're willing to tell and the way that you're going to challenge your players. The way that I run D&D and the campaigns I have the most fun with is when you have a character a little bit like Vegeta from Dragon Ball Z. Similar to Vegeta, my players want to use their super awesome abilities to show how powerful they are. But Vegeta constantly has to fight evil. He fights against Frieza. He fights against the androids. And I really love playing in campaigns where my players end up needing to fight against something very bad for their own personal motivations. Vegeta fights against the androids because they threaten his family, but Vegeta also, more importantly, refuses to believe that there are characters other than Goku who are stronger than him. He feels threatened, and he's really powerfully motivated by wanting to show how strong and powerful he is. I think these are really fun campaigns in D&D, where you get to show your players that they can do good, but you give them interesting reasons for why they want to do good. I love that as a DM. I think it's a very fun and interesting dynamic that I get to create for my players. And it works very naturally with 
the player's guide and the, their character sheet and all these rules for killing monsters. I don't have to tell my players that they don't get to use their divine smites today because we don't have a combat. So Ray, what are some common mistakes we think DMs can avoid if they don't want to be trampling on the fun of their murder hobo players? Actually, one of the examples that inspired this episode was I was reading a Reddit post a few months ago where the author talks about how the players brutally murdered a adventurer party that they had actually wanted to be rivals for the group, but the players murdered them because they were getting in their way and being sufficiently bothersome, and they took their magic items. And that DM was very upset and was asking the Reddit community how they could punish their players for doing this evil action. How could they tell their players through gameplay that they had done something wrong? And I think this post stirred up something in me that has made me want to make an episode like this for a long time. And I think the, the point that comes to mind is DMs should never be trying to punish their players. We're not trying to put our players in timeout. We're not trying to give our players a detention. We're not trying to train our players to play Dungeons & Dragons a better way or the DM's way. Don't punish your players. And I think some of the ways that we see DMs try to punish their players, the most obvious one that usually happens is DMs try to turn their entire world against the players. Because they're like, well, this is realistic. Your actions have consequences. But if we were to take a deep breath and maybe pause the game or end the session for the day and think about how the world would actually respond to players doing something that we think might be like a murder hobo action, we actually start to realize that the world probably wouldn't turn against them. Sure, they'll make some enemies, but that's no different from any session. Ariel, how can we make our game a little bit more realistic and less like a game of Grand Theft Auto, where once you commit a crime, the world tries to hunt you down? I think the example of Grand Theft Auto is actually really good, because it certainly is a lot of fun when the cops are chasing you around, but eventually you want to be able to play the game again. You want to be able to walk around without cops shooting at you. This is like D&D. The most fun part of D&D is not when you're constantly getting arrested. Everyone is trying to put you in jail. So a really good way to give your players the opportunity to interact with the world after they've done something wrong is to introduce factions to the game. And something that is hurtful to one faction is actually beneficial to another faction. If there are two factions that are enemies and you've hurt one, well now, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. You're an attractive ally to some other faction. This, I think, will feel extremely realistic for your players. They'll think it's very cool that the world has nuance and there are lots of different pieces moving around them, such that something they thought was bad actually presents a new opportunity. I think using factions in this way is a really, really good Dungeons & Dragons, and it shows your players that when they do something reckless or violent, they have the opportunity to use that as a jumping off point for another adventure. I think that's a really fun moment at the table when something they thought was a mistake actually opens a door 
to a really cool new problem. If the idea of introducing a whole new faction is a little bit daunting to you, don't worry, we've got a whole episode where we describe an easy way to put factions in your games, so definitely check that out. A module that comes to mind that revolves around factions, that is actually probably a great example for this piece of the discussion, is Waterdeep Dragon Heist. In Waterdeep Dragon Heist, your players are civilians in a city where there are many factions acting against each other, or uh, some of the factions are allied together. I think the module expects that your players will play mostly good characters. Those are the options that the module more readily presents. It gives you guidance as to how the players can join the Gauntlet, or the Lord's Alliance, or the Emerald Enclave, or the Harpers. And it doesn't give all that much guidance as to how your players might join the Zentarum, for example, which is like an evil crime lord organization. But if we think about this for a second, and your players were to start Waterdeep Dragon Heist, and your players kill one of the good quest givers, Renarin Neverember, that might strike you as a murder hobo move. Renarin is explicitly good in the campaign, and the module definitely doesn't expect the players to kill Renarin. If you're a new DM, this might upset you, it might rattle you, it might put you on your heels, you might not know what to do. But if we take a deep breath and we think for a second what the world would do, sure, the players have made a lot of powerful enemies. Maybe they're being targeted by the Lord's Alliance or the Harpers now. But in killing such a high-profile family member of someone who's a member of the Lord's Alliance, or was previously a member of the Lord's Alliance, the players attract the interest of a lot of seedy groups as well. The Zentarum might be interested in seeing if they're interested in assassinating other high-profile people in the city. Bregendierth and Jarlaxle might be intrigued by the boldness of these adventurers. They're so brash. Perhaps he has some use for them in their recklessness. Maybe he wants to use them to cause some sort of a scene or distraction so that he can pull off a heist somewhere. There's a lot of opportunity to use this murder hobo action to make your world seem more alive and to give your players motivations to continue to act consistently. If it turns out that this is the type of thing that your players want to do, they want to kill good characters, lean into that. There's plenty of ways that you can motivate a group to be consistent and kill more good characters. One of my favorite ways of introducing a world that is accepting of killing good players that I think is really, really realistic is for the players to encounter a powerful person in your setting and they actually know that your players did something wrong. And they'll say something like, well, I don't care that you killed the son of the duke and now you're interested. Why doesn't this person care? I thought this would be a big deal. Why isn't this a big deal? And now you have an introduction to another story hook. And this also allows DMs to skirt another thing that could pop up. There definitely are some players, especially if they're friends of yours, who kind of like to see the DM not struggle with the situation, but uh, have to think on their toes. They like surprising the DM. And by going with the flow instead of fighting against the current, 
and going with the player's decision to kill this important NPC and and roll with it, you deliver that that enjoyment to that player who was looking for you to be surprised, which is a good thing. We want our players to enjoy the game, but you also demonstrate to that player you're not going to take this campaign off the rails by doing something unexpected. The world will react to your actions accordingly. And you get to show them a world that's reacting in a very believable way. People are selfish. People are motivated by what they can do to get ahead. That's a very realistic game of Dungeons and Dragons. And you just doing one thing wrong or you killing somebody that somebody else doesn't really have a connection to, they're going to forgive you. They're still going to use you as an ally. That's very realistic that people are selfish and have their own motivations. So I think it is a lot of fun to introduce characters who don't care when your players have done something murder hobo And I think something that I run into or I see when a player does something like this and the DM wants to feel validated in their decision to put their players in detention or punish their players is they'll give an NPC that the players killed unique information or unique power that they were the only key to the next stage of the adventure. And now that that NPC is dead, the adventure is ruined. In my interpretation of that explanation, it is the DM who has created an inflexible world, a world that was not prepared to deal with the unexpected actions of players. And by kind of like writing yourself into a hole, because that's what you've done as the DM, you aren't proving that your players did something wrong. You're proving that you are not able to improvise and create creative solutions to a challenge that your players have now presented you with. This is a perfect segue, Ray. How do we create a world that is reactive to the players and is flexible enough that they can kill and they can use their superpowers in a way that doesn't derail the plot and doesn't make the adventure that you set out on impossible? Yeah, a few things come to mind. A typical way that we might put our game back on the rails, right? Your players do something that you totally didn't expect. That's what we live for. That's what we play for. We want people to do unexpected things that change the game. Otherwise, we would all just be writing novels. Now, how do you put your game back on the rails? How can you restore some tone and levity right after perhaps something has been disrupted? One thing that works really well is to put a greater evil in front of your players. I think this was some advice that you actually came up with, Ariel, where your players are feeling evil and all of a sudden all the good forces in the city might turn against them. But a greater evil appears that forces everybody to band together. The good organizations in the city, in the countryside, wherever your setting for your D&D game takes place, can't afford to treat your players like villains. They have to treat your players like heroes again because everybody needs to unite against this greater evil. Suddenly, your players are a huge asset to the community because what do you need when there's a big threat? You need people that are good at killing. And who is better at killing than your evil, selfish, powerful adventuring party that has been working their way through their own power fantasy your whole campaign. Suddenly, 
That's the biggest asset anybody could have. They are almost the most good in, in that scenario because they have the most opportunity to save the world. I think this is a great way to both raise the stakes and have a fun adventure and also pivot so that your players are now allies with all the people they might have been enemies with before. I think this technique works especially well when the players didn't want to be evil. They did something where only now they're realizing the consequences of their actions, and they don't want to be perceived as evil in the world. They want to be perceived as heroes. And now you're in a situation where, well, that's not really going to work out because they killed someone that was really important, and that person is going to make sure that everyone knows that they're bad guys. They're going to get bounties on their heads. That's when this situation works out really well. You basically give your players a freebie or a redo by giving them an opportunity to become heroes again from the perspective of the people that they want to be seen as heroes. This is actually my favorite game of Dungeons & Dragons. A group of ragtag people who are all in it for themselves band together to fight for something that is greater than themselves. I think that's a really amazing story, and we'd love to see characters in fiction who aren't aren't the goody-two-shoes finding their way into a hero story. We have Han Solo and Chewbacca, I think are the best example of this. They don't want to be heroes. They specifically are in it for themselves. They keep telling the audience they're in it for themselves, but at the end of the day, they learn that this greater evil is worth fighting against, and then they become the heroes at the end of the story. I think that's amazing D&D. And then I think the inverse of that is when your players kind of do want to be perceived as evil. That's part of their power fantasy. They want people to respect their power, but they also kind of want people to be wary of their power, to fear their power just a little bit. Don't mess with me is the reputation that your players want. And if that's what they're going for, you might be better served by leaning into their evil tendencies. And you can now create your challenges and obstacles that you're going to put in front of your players to create narrative tension around the idea that if you succeed in these things, it will further that reputation and infamy. One of the ways to do this is to create NPCs that the players can kill without ruining the tone or the levity of your game. And to do this, you can put sufficiently despicable but difficult to kill NPCs in front of your players. An example of this might be a crime lord or a powerful NPC who's actually maybe like a lich, but nobody knows that they're a lich, so that the players can kill this lich and still be the good guys but everyone in the world will think that they're the bad guys because no one else knew that this was a lich. You can do the opposite to lean in to this villainous power fantasy in some ways too, where you can introduce a paladin or a cleric as a character that is in the way of your adventuring party. And now, you know, your players might be fighting against a servant of a deity, somebody that most people would see as good. And maybe your players get the chance to try and justify their actions. Oh, this cleric was actually not so good. This paladin was actually not so good. And this is why we had to kill them. And now you've got some roleplay involved. You go from a campaign where there was a combat 
And then there's a really interesting roleplay adventure based on that combat. And I think that can be really, really fun as well, where your players kill somebody that is maybe actually good, but was doing the wrong thing at the time. Or like Ray was saying, this character was actually evil, but other NPCs didn't know about it. I think those are both really, really fun. But sometimes on the simplest level, throwing a bunch of goblins at your players and letting them kill the goblins is really fun too. And I think it's fun because of two reasons. One, they die quickly, and that can be a lot of fun. But two, it's uncomplicated. This idea that every NPC that you throw at your characters has to have some vital piece of information or some tragic backstory that is the reason they've done something wrong is a little bit silly. Having uncomplicated combats, uncomplicated characters that your players can kill without feeling bad is fun. We have so many sessions of D&D out there in the world where goblins are the enemy, where goblins have come to fight the town. The reason those get written in so many adventures is because it's good D&D. It's historically been very, very fun to go through your character abilities and just kill some enemies. So you can lean into that. You don't have to give every NPC a tragic backstory. And I think this idea of choosing the type of enemy that you're going to present your players with can deliver some exposition as well. I think perhaps a situation that DMs run into is the players see themselves as good, as the heroes, but they have been doing things that might be considered villainous by the civilization or the community at large. And you are struggling with the way to communicate to the players that they are verging into the territory of being seen as villainous. By presenting a paladin or a cleric or even town guardsman as the obstacle or the challenge that the players are running into, you start to tell the players, oh, the good guys are starting to look into us a little bit, as opposed to presenting them with bandits or goblins, which would kind of indicate to them that they should keep doing what they're doing if they want to still be perceived as heroes. Perhaps a less overt way to hint to the players that the world is starting to see them in a certain light that maybe they don't want is the players could be under investigation. So you haven't actually limited their freedom in any way. You just let them know that this one guy who's like a good paladin over here is a little suspicious that your group did XYZ and is looking into the matter further. There are lots of ways to communicate to your players that they see themselves as one thing, and that's their power fantasy, but they are acting contrary to that reputation that they're trying to gain. You can communicate to them in a lot of ways that maybe their actions aren't being perceived in the way that they would like them to be. I think that's really great advice, Ray. And I have one more piece of advice for how to bring this campaign back on the rails and lean in to this chaotic energy. Introduce an NPC that is just as chaotic and just as enraging in some ways as your players are to your setting. So if your players kill somebody and loot their body and now they have a powerful magical item... Somebody else wants to kill you and loot your body and take that magical item. So now you introduce characters that maybe try to steal from the players or chase them down 
or just one character that is really, really crazy. Instead of having the whole town turn against your players, have one person who's a bounty hunter who is chasing them. And, and maybe the town doesn't even like this bounty hunter that much. The bounty hunter is too extreme, too evil, but they hired him because he gets the job done. And now your players are fighting against a character that if they kill, the town's not going to be mad that you killed this awful bounty hunter, but they are a little bit invested in you getting caught. So it, it creates a dynamic where you're not running away from everybody. You're running away from one crazy villainous person who is also a murder hobo and also wants to kill you. You can meet murder hobos with murder hobos and create a finder's keepers mentality in your game that everyone is a little bit out for themselves. And if you've stumbled onto this episode because you've already kind of gotten yourself into a situation that's a little precarious, maybe you're one of those posters of those Reddit articles that I've been talking about, there are ways to de-escalate this interpersonal problem. Simply communicate why you were upset that so-and-so killed this character for this reason and, and what upset you about it. Not from the perspective of don't do this again, just from the perspective of understanding why the other day our voices kind of like raised at the D&D table and why people left the session maybe not feeling so good. Yeah, we don't want to be punishing players in game. I feel like that's very immature in some ways, especially if you don't communicate beforehand. It's like if somebody at work interrupted you while you were working and you weren't so happy about it. So you went over to their computer and you poured coffee all over it. Just have a conversation with your players. It'll be okay. You'll learn more what you guys want. And if it does turn out that you want to play in different kinds of games, that's okay too. But nine times out of ten, I think communicating with your friends will have a successful result. You'll find a game style that fits the whole group. Yeah. I love running for a chaotic group. We've talked at length about how evil the players that I run for are, and they're still fighting against the greater evil. And it's definitely my favorite type of group to play in, for sure. This kind of like chaotic, we're out for ourselves. We're not going to murder someone because we love killing people, but we, we will kill people if they are between us and our goals. And I hope that this conversation that we've had, Ariel, is another drop in the bucket of getting DMs okay with the idea of their players leaning into the fun of being a murder hobo. Dungeons and Dragons, the rules are all about being a murder hobo. There aren't any rules for establishing a home or a home base or a place where you can stay. So you're not supposed to really have a house in Dungeons and Dragons. And what does the rest of the rules tell you to do? Well, it tells you how to kill things. Being a murder hobo is basic default Dungeons and Dragons. And to pretend otherwise that murder hobos are uh, maybe like playing a worse version of Dungeons and Dragons or an unelevated version of Dungeons and Dragons, I think is contrary to the point of the game, which is for everybody to have a great time at the table. And if your players love killing monsters, lean into that. Right. If somebody comes up to you and says, I don't think you're playing D&D well, you're just a bunch of murder hobos, you can always respond with, well, we're having a lot of fun. And if that's true, 
then you're playing good Dungeons and Dragons. If you're having a lot of fun, you're doing the right thing. I think you'll almost always be able to find a compromise. Well, that wraps up today's episode about murder hobos. Until next time, I'm Raymond O'Connor. And I'm Ariel Rasco. And thanks for listening to Running Off the Rails. If you enjoyed Running Off the Rails, please like, follow, and review our show on your platform of choice. Please follow our Instagram, Running Off the Rails, for notifications whenever we release a blog post, a new episode, or new content on the DMs Guild. If you prefer a specific type of content, please send us a message on Instagram. The jam you are listening to is Hoist by Andy G. Cohen, and you can find Hoist and more of Cohen's music on the Free Music Archive. You can find links to all of our content at runningofftherails.com or on our Facebook page, Running Off the Rails. Thank you.